All right. Uh, okay. So if you are a dad in the room, uh, stick your hand up and leave it up. We got something for you. It's coming. It's coming. While they're doing that, I'll just tell you a story. You know, because I know you love just hear stories while they're handing this out and all. Um, so, so yesterday, uh, my my friends Michelle and Sean, their their daughter got married a little bit ago, and they just had a reception uh, yesterday. And and at the end of it, there there was some look. There's some beer left over, and it's okay. All right, it's okay. So they brought it over to my house. We invited a bunch of people over. It's what you want—a bunch of people, beer, kids, whatever. <laughs> Do you live in Mississippi? No, I don't. Anyway, so they come over, and you know, Jonathan's got his two little girls, and Donald and Donald bring his little girls over, and Mason's in the backyard, and Carrie's back there with the frisbee. My dog loves frisbees. And you pull on a frisbee, she just like boom, she'll sit down. You're gonna throw it for me, and just look at you. So, you know, they were like, stop chasing the Frisbee. And so at one point, all these little kids are gathered in a circle. Carrie, like, throws the Frisbee, right? You needed a video camera. You really did. All these little kids like, whoo, right? And here's my dog. Boom, knocks them all over, catches the Frisbee, and runs off. <laughs> little Lauren Whitaker's, daddy! This other little girl's like, sweet. It's beautiful. Someone needs to videotape this, especially when my dog and kids are around, because somebody ends up crying. It always happens. Anyway, yeah. Oh, and the reason why uh, you get IBC root beer, not dad's root beer, is because dad's root beer only comes in cans. They don't want you to look like a bunch of rednecks. That's you. So, I don't know, whatever. Welcome to Element. <laughs> You're like... My son brought me to church today. Why did I even show up? Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. And there are not sermon notes on the community tables today. We're doing something a little bit uh, different, so we're just going to jump in and start going. I want you to stand with me and read into God's Word. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people would be those who understand you better as a father and our relationship in life and everything it relates to because you are first and foremost our dad. Amen. Have a seat. So on Father's Day, you are getting another break from Genesis. It probably feels like we're never going to finish Genesis, but after this week, four weeks. Four weeks and we're done. You know, I'll bring your Bibles. You can sign them like yearbooks. It'll be amazing. <laughs> But it'd be like year and a half books or something because it's, it's, it's been a while. And you hit Genesis, you know, and, and really at this point it's all been about fathers anyway, so it's just kind of all going together. Uh, so we're going to do something different. Open your Bible to Genesis, or, uh, Galatians, see, <laughs> can't get Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. You may not know where that is. <laughs> the second, never mind, okay. Not only am I going to give you a root beer, I will probably also give you a shorter message today. Happy Father's Day. You're, you're, you're welcome. Uh, I usually, when I talk about fathers and stuff, I, I get all over your case telling you what you should be. Today, I am simply going to tell you what God is like as 
our Father. And hopefully that inspires us to live a little bit different as well. I'm going to have some friends also share with you uh, via video. Uh, you will see these. If you're here on Mother's Day, you would have saw Jessa and Pam and Amanda get up and share. Uh, this is actually their other halves. This is their husbands you're going to meet this morning. This is Matt and Nathan and Doug, so you'll see them on the video. One of the things that Matt said to me was, he goes, he goes, do you videotape us because we're just going to kind of stammer and not do as well as the ladies? And I said, well, I don't know. He goes, I think that's why you videotape us. And I said, okay, that's why I do it. And he goes, great. So that's why they're going as... As video. So, uh, where are you going here? In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is telling us what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And he does this in part by showing you that Jesus is good and Jesus is wonderful and that we are children and God is a father. A lot of the books in the scriptures, what they will do is they'll come along and they will focus on certain things we should be doing and things like that. And Galatians does that a bit, but it focuses mainly on what God has done for us to make us his children. And Paul is also clearing up some misunderstandings about God, because if you misunderstand God, you're going to misunderstand everything in your life. In the city of Galatia, it was a very works-based society. And if they believed and followed a God, this God was more like a boss, and he was not like a father. It's how a lot of people look at the Old Testament laws. You've got 613 laws, and your job description is all of them. You have to do all of them, and if you do it, well, then God's nice to you, and if not, then you get punished. And whether that's true or not, that's how a lot of people see it. That's how they see religion today. That's how a lot of people view Christianity today. And so in Galatians, what Paul is saying is he's trying to show that God is not a a boss, but God is a father who is or longs to be in loving, intimate relationship with his kids, and that we get good gifts from our father because he loves us. And sometimes people today, they get really weird about things like this. You have liberal theologians and feminist theologians that come along and they say, we don't like that God calls himself father. We don't like that term. We don't like that we're adopted as sons. Even though the word sons, it's inclusive of men and women. It's an inclusive term. And we don't like father. Well, that's patriarchal. And so what do we say to that? Yes, it is. And it's in the Bible. So we, we just kind of go with it there. What happens, I think, is the problem is a lot of people look at their fathers and how a lot of our fathers are messed up and have messed us up. And we take that all that baggage and we lay it upon God and we judge God's fatherhood based upon our fathers when it should be the exact opposite. We should look at our, the, our heavenly father and then judge our fathers accordingly to his standard. You don't do it backwards. Some people get all offended when you even just pray our father. But Jesus did. Our father in heaven. Holy is your name, right? Jesus did that, but then they get offended with him too, but he's okay. He can handle it. I'll tell you, if I have kids one day, you know, and and they take a vote and decide not to call me dad because it's too patriarchal, like we're going to call you the sky fairy or the food harbinger or it, (laughs) that's not going to go over very well with me. I'm going to be like, I'm dad. You call me dad. That's how it works. In the same way, when we come to the scriptures, we don't pull things out we don't like. We go with what the scriptures say. That's how we know they're from God because there's a lot of things in there. It's like, you know, We would write differently if it was us. If America wrote the scriptures, we would have things like, you know, the more you eat, the holier you are. Whoever eats the most at the buffet, they become the pastor. That's how it works. But that's not how the scriptures work, okay? The scriptures teach you your point. It's really, you don't see some of the things that I see. Sometimes I say something and somebody goes. We should have a camera facing this way so you can just get... You would not believe when stuff that goes on in this room. Just look around sometime. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, we don't get to change things in the scriptures that we don't like. And so the scriptures call God our Father, and He is our 
Father. Uh, and, and when you come along this, there are only two things that can happen when you get something in Scripture that you don't like. Either you need to change or the Scriptures change. And the Scriptures don't change, so you need to change. So there's really only one option. That's just you changing. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul comes in and he says this. You are all sons of God. Again, that term includes the ladies. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, some people think they are better than somebody else because of race or class or income or position, but all we have is nothing. And Paul is showing you that all distinctions based in arrogance are done away with at the cross. And again, today, these same liberal and feminist theologians go so far as to say that God did away with male and female at the cross. They think that's what Paul is saying there, no distinction. And this issue is ravaging a lot of churches today, that God has done away with gender identity, male and female. And so whatever I want to do with my body or with my life, whatever, it's, 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 it's all okay. That's not what Paul is actually saying here. The qu- question, ladies, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, are you still female? Yes. I'll tell you, that's much better than first service this morning. I said that, and one lady went, yes. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of the ladies are thinking, but... Gentlemen, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you still male? Yes. See, the guys are always much more strong in that. They're like, thank God, yes, we are men. You don't wake up in the morning after becoming a Christian and you, and you have androgynous plumbing like, oh my goodness, I'm a Ken doll. <laughs> or, or like you're a, you're a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and you left all your parts at home or something. That, that's not what happens. What you, what you see in the scripture is that gender is an issue of creation, not culture. And so Paul is arguing against cultural distinctions, not creation distinctions. In Genesis 1.27, male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Genesis quiz, since you've been through it, who did God make? Eve, the woman, exactly, exactly. That's an issue of creation. It exists before culture. It's binding. In the New Testament, you see Paul writing to men and women distinctly and differently. Titus chapter 2, teach the older men to be temperate, teach the older women to be reverent, teach the younger women to love their husbands, and teach the, and encourage the young men to be self-controlled. He sees them as distinct. And just because we're distinct, that does not mean un. Equal. Our culture think distinction means inequality. It doesn't. I am distinct from you, but I am not better than you. And this is shown in Jesus. You get to Jesus. Is Jesus better or worse than the Father who he points us towards? Neither. Neither. They are equal. But Jesus does respect and yield himself to the Father's will. Luke 22, verse 42. Not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus isn't trying to make us all the same. He's trying to make us one, unity. That is what he is doing. That's Paul's point in there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one. How? In Christ Jesus. Jesus is trying to unify his people. All of our differences help us. Poor, rich, black, white, brown, yellow, green, whatever, educated, uneducated. It's good to have all in Christ. It shows the goodness of God. This is just like our nationalities don't change. You become a follower of Jesus Christ and you're Asian, uh, you're, you're still Asian and you're probably still really smart. All right? if, you're, if you're Scottish and you become a follower of Jesus, well, you're still Scottish and you're moody and you burn easy. It, is, it still happens. 
in the book of Revelation, like all nations are gathered around God's throne. This is the idea that you and I, we worship Him together. We are sent out to make disciples, not make everybody the same. We're to help people to love Jesus, and that's how we become one. The heart cry of American culture today, oh, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Oh, we all got to be tolerant. And yet, nobody's tolerant of anybody else who disagrees with them. The whole, the whole point of becoming one is that we become a family. We are brothers and sisters coming together. We can be reconciled together because, we, because God's love is bigger than us. We become a family of which God is the Father. That's the whole thing that Paul is trying to bring us to the understanding. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, he keeps going and says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir uh, is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, in Roman society, uh, they did one thing better than I think we do today. They did a lot of things worse, but in one, this is sonship and fatherhood, which is a huge issue today. Again, where we have all the father problems we do with God. No guy in this room can really tell me when you became a man because there's no agreed upon assumption of what a man actually is. When do you become one? How do you know you're actually there? Part of the problem is that the only way a son knows when he really becomes a man is when his father tells him. But our fathers are not telling us, they are not trained us, they are not helping us. And as we have traveled through the book of Genesis, you've seen some horrible dads. And I think they're all in there to show you the distinction between them and who God is as a father. Imagine Adam. You know, he's talking to his kids. Oh, man, kids, the garden, you should have seen it. It was great. Your mom ran around with no clothes on. It was awesome. Well, what happened, dad? Well, I was a bad husband, I didn't, you know, and he has to then talk about his sin and all that he did. You get to Noah. I mean, Noah, the God redeems his family, takes them through this flood, comes out the other side, and what does he do? He spends his time planting the vineyard, making grapes, just so he can get drunk, and he passes out of his tent and curses one of his kids. I mean, that's a committed alcoholic right there, right? If you're going to grow the grapes and do it just to pass out in your tent, that, that's Noah. You get to Abraham. Abraham messes up his two boys because he doesn't have enough faith in God. You get to Abraham's son Isaac, he messes up his kids because he plays favorites. You get to Jacob, who we've been looking at forever in the book of Genesis, and his kids are a disaster. Really, all except for Benjamin and Joseph, because he actually paid attention to them. And most of us today, guys, have this thing inside of us called a father wound. It's, it's what they call it. Our dads have messed us up in our childhood, and it affects our entire lives. But this is also one of the reasons that God calls himself father. And what I want to help you do, I'm not going to get rid of all your baggage by the end of today, but what I want to do is get you to the point where you start to lay the baggage of your father aside and begin to see God as the father that he is. And to do that, I want you to watch this video of some of my friends and telling you what their fathers were like growing up. So, One, one thing that my dad taught me about being a man was that in order to be a man, you had to be, you had to be strong. Uh, you had to show other people you were strong, um, and you were supposed to have sex with women. Um, and I can recall the first time that uh, I did have sex. Uh, my girlfriend called my dad because I was quite upset. Uh, my dad's phone called to me later that night. Uh, he's talking to me, and he just, you know, I'm crying on the phone, and he said, you know, are you, are you gay? And I was like, no. And he's like, then why are you crying? You know, you're doing 
what men do. You're doing what you should be doing. Um, and that, to me, was I had just committed this kind of huge sin. I had just entered into a world that I had never been in. And the response from kind of the, the, male, the guy that's supposed to be the strong one in my life was just, you know, don't be gay and stop crying. Basically, I had three dads. We started with, uh, from the time I was born until I was three, I had one dad. What I learned from him is that basically you can take off at any moment and you don't have to be responsible for your family. Um, second dad was ages three to about nine. And at that point, what I learned from that dad was uh, how to abuse women uh, sexually, um, physically, domestic violence was a huge thing. How to um, basically treat people like dirt get your own way no matter who it hurt and my third father was a stepdad I thought that was going to go well started out well and what ended up happening unbeknownst to us he was an alcoholic he would come home every day drink and drink to the point where after he was done he would come after me and bully me and make me do push-ups to the point where I couldn't do anymore after which he would hurt me pull my hair and beat me up those are the things I learned from my dads I was raised as a, a number six out of seven kids large family dad was a, a very good provider, uh, was there my whole childhood. Um, matter of fact, I worked for him for eight years after I graduated college. Um, he taught me a number of key things, important things, uh, integrity, commitment, um, things that were important to him. Um, he, he did a good job imparting those things to me, uh, you know, that, that religion side of life. Uh, but the relationship side, I would say I felt was lacking. Did he think it was? I don't know. He wasn't a real emotional man by any means. Um, I, I tend to be much more emotional. I tend to be much more connected to my kids visually, physically. You know, we share a lot more things than I ever remember growing up with my dad. So what makes a man? Does age make you a man? I mean, you can be 70 years old and still be a little boy inside. You know, age doesn't always bring wisdom. Wisdom is kind of like wine. You know, the older it gets, the better it gets. But folly is like milk. It just smells and curls more the older that you get. Again, our problem is we don't know what a man actually is, so we make marks. So we say, oh, 16 years old, you get a driver's license. Does that make a man? No, you've driven with them. You know that doesn't make a man, right? 18 years old, you can go to war and you can vote. Does that make a man? No, look what they vote for. <laughs> 21 years old, oh, you get to drink. Does that make a man? We all know the consumption of alcohol does not make a man. Okay, we know that. But see, a Roman father, for all of their flaws, would train love and they would discipline their sons. And when they knew that the heart of their boy was a man, they would tell them. They would say, today you are a man. And the father would come and he would, and he would remove the son's clothes, the boy clothes, and he would reclothe him with man clothes. This is one of the reasons why in Galatians, Paul says, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. In Romans 13, 12 to 14, it says, so let us put aside, this is the word take off, let us put aside the deeds of darkness to put on the armor of light. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the image of that. The Roman father would reclothe his son as a man. He says, you no longer hang out with the boys, now you're going to hang out with the men. You used to do boy things and like these boy things and just yourself with things of boys, but now you're a man and now 
I'm going to teach you business and commerce, how to love a woman, how to raise some kids, how to pay your bills. And the dad and the boy, they'd become peers at that point. Maturity would be inaugurated by the father. Now today, as a boy grows up, he has coaches and teachers, and we expect them to do all these things for us. They give kids rules like, you know, don't put your head in the toilet, don't eat things you find in the yard, don't stick anything in any orifice in your body. Don't eat things out of the toilet while sticking a stick in your ear kind of thing. You know, rule, Rules are really essential for young children. But one day the child has to grow up. And what Paul is telling us throughout most of his writings is it is time for you and I to grow up. All the rules, they might keep you safe when you're little, but they will never teach you how to love God more. And what you need is maturity. And the Holy Spirit takes and moves us to the point where we discover that God is actually our dad. Paul goes on in Galatians 4 and verses 6 and 7. He says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That's, that's daddy. That's daddy, father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is amazing that the God of the universe sits on his throne, creates everything, floods the earth, part of the Red Sea, raises Jesus from the dead. And what are we supposed to call him? Father, dad. That's what we're supposed to call him. You know, the Jews were so terrified of God, they wouldn't even pronounce his name. And yet we are told we're supposed to call him dad. That's amazing. We would expect to call him boss, to cower in fear. But we are adopted through the blood of Jesus. God gives us his spirit. We can have power to live. We become his sons. And I don't know if you struggle with a duty-bound view of God. You go to the Bible and you say, just tell me what to do and that's what I'll do. But God is not like a boss who gives you a bonus at Christmas when you do it all right. I have never seen a good dad with 600 rules on the front of the fridge and says, you do this, you get dinner. And if you don't, there's hell to pay. That's, that's the God that the false teachers represent. It's, it's the God of religion. It's not the God of relationship. You put the rules up and you do it. And because we've had dads that have so marred the image of what fatherhood is, we now don't know how to relate to being fathers or to our father in heaven. Because none of us had a dad who inaugurated manhood. We tend to walk around with a father wound inside of us. And we secretly feel like little boys in men's bodies. And the hardest thing for a man to do is ever talk about that and say, Oh, I feel like a little kid inside. When if you talk to other men, most men would go, I kind of feel the same way. Because we never had this inaugurated for us. And so what we do is we begin to try and hide these things. And we end up telling kids stupid things like a man is someone who is strong and has sex with a lot of women. Oh, a man uses his strength to get what he wants. Or a man is not emotional. He's simply a duty-bound provider. That's all that he is. That is not a man. And what the gospel does is it helps us to understand what a father really is, what God is really like, and what we as men and fathers are supposed to be. The gospel changes everything. Watch this. When Christ came into my life, everything changed. My perspective on everything totally changed. Um, no longer did I see the world as some place to fear and, and to protect yourself from and to kind of um, not bring children into, but he took us to the ex exact opposite, where we have six kids and he's given us a life where we can enjoy the world around us and not be in fear. The gospel has, has taught me that if you look at what God is to us, God is our Father. And when he calls himself our Father, he truly means it. And he is the ultimate representation of what a father should be. God's role in, in fathering us, me, as one of his children, uh, has certainly had an impact. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think, until I moved to California and we had joined a little bit more charismatic church than here that I heard the term, 
Abba, Father, Daddy, uh, different things like that, but it really helped me relate in a different way to my kids. And he is what a father, what every father should be. Um, he's made sacrifices for us and he continues to forgive us uh, and reach out to us um, each and every time we fail, uh, even when our fathers on earth don't do that and they, they give us these negative messages. The term Abba Father added a whole new dimension for me to my relationship with God. It became much more personal much less of a, a, a book term, the Bible. You know, God is in the Bible. Abba Father, God, isn't what I'd ever read or seen or heard in the Bible until it was taught differently to me. That became much more personal. The thing that he really gave me as someone who had really known only pain and, and anger, he gave me a fresh perspective on being able to see things through eyes that love, really. What God has and what God sets out to be a man, um, it's much different than what my my father here has said. And, and God calls himself our father, and he is our father. Um, and he's really the ultimate representation of what a father should be. The gospel has certainly affected my life. Even before marriage, I would say if I prioritize life's duties was probably somewhere in the range of work, family, God. Um, not long after marriage, I would say it redirected back to probably God, work, family. And finally, about the time that you know, we started having kids, you, you really reassess things in your life. And I, I think I corrected that priority relationship to God, family, and work. Although I'm sure I'm going to screw Jack up at some point um, by telling him something, if I can lead him to the path of this is how you're supposed to be a man and this is how you're supposed to be a father and point him back to, to God and the Bible, um, that'll be better than any advice I could give him here uh, on earth from my own head or from my own heart. I can be the dad, that I can be the the Superman that I needed, I can come into their lives and protect them and provide for them and let them live without fear. Time and time again, when when I fail, he redeems me and he still loves me and he still has compassion for me. When I'm at the end of my days and ready to leave this earth, I would like to be able to talk to each one of my kids and, and challenge them to be who God wants them to be, challenge them to be the best father, person, husband, community member, whatever it might be, and, and hope and pray that my background, my influence on them will have impacted them and guided them in that end result. I want to be a, a dad who can look at Jack one day all the time and say, I'm proud of the man he has become, not because I've taught him that, or he's like me, or, uh, or that, but because he is a man of God and he follows uh, what God has set out to be a man. From the things that I've learned from God, my father, that I would like to instill in my kids and be able to share with them and bring them up in, is the freedom of knowing that you have a father 
that is there no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter how far you stray, but also um, that loves you unconditionally, but will do what's best for you. And that's really what, what the Lord's taught me. That's the kind of father I want to be. It's Nathan's birthday, by the way. <laughs> now, so what is a man, right? Well, I'll tell you, I think from Scripture, a man is someone who uses his strength to stand against injustice, to protect the princesses, which is our wives, to defend the defenseless and powerless, which is your kids, and to take care of the downtrodden. I think a man is somebody who cultivates hope by understanding that he is someone under God's ultimate authority. I think a man is someone who longs to take the things God has taught him as his father and impart that to his children, impart it to others, like Nathan said. And so, on a practical level, I think if you have been living with the duty-bound view of God, and and duty is not a bad word. Don't get me wrong in this, okay? Uh, Some men need to take upon that mantle of duty and, and live that. But if that is the only way you see God, what I want you to do is this week is watch some kids. Not like a pervert or a sicko or, or something like that, all right? But, you know, even as I say this, you know, it's going to come out wrong. But, you know, drive by a park. <laughs> not with, like, a camera. Click, click, click. Hey, kids. You know, something like that. Pictures me on the Internet later, you know, things. But, but drive by and, and watch kids because kids are crazy. I mean, in, in le- unless they've had, like, a sugar rush and then they're, like, totally crashing, you never really see a stressed-out two-year-old. You don't. They're, they're just crazy. They have a Kool-Aid mustache, and their whole goal, goal is to run around and try and get their pants off. You know, they, they have a cookie mash in their ear because they slept on the night before. They pick their nose and stick that finger in their mouth because they have no idea. It's disgusting. <laughs> they just think it tastes salty, and it's good. See, you know what I'm talking about. You know, so, some kids, they, they, they don't have anything. They just lay there all day like a lump of furniture. And they're like, you know, they don't worry about gravity, the hypostatic union. Oh, is that a Greek or a biblical concept? They don't worry about the end times. They wonder what's making the fan go around on the ceiling. And too many of us, when we come to viewing God as our father, we take it way too serious. Like God's going to show up unannounced and give us a bad performance review. We're supposed to grow up and trust and love God like a child trusts a dad. See, God sits on his throne. His gospel goes out. It will not return void. And we make decisions and do stupid stuff all the time. But it is God who is ultimately in charge. You and I can relax a bit and trust him as our dad. Now, there have been people who come to Element and they leave. They don't like the way I teach. They don't like the jokes I crack. This is your last time here. Thanks for coming. Don't... Don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. I don't know. You know what, what, what can I say? You know, but they get mad because sometimes I'll make fun of people because I think we're laughable. I think we take ourselves way too seriously. But I will never make fun of God because how you view God as your father ultimately comes down to how are you going to end up living your life. A lot of people have a karma view of who God and Jesus Christ is. You work, you do it, it goes well for you. That, that's American Christianity. It's karma. It's capitalism Christianity. But that's not Christianity is. See, what causes a son to obey a father? It's, first off, you know, the respect of their dad's strength, but it's also this love that the father has imparted to them. And they want to turn around and love their father back. It's the relationship. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. So obedience comes out of love first. You know, love does not come out of obedience. 
we love and we follow Jesus and we want to obey because we love him so much. I obey the tax laws of the United States of America. It doesn't make me love the tax laws at all. Okay? They don't breed love. But, you know, if my wife asks me to clean or do something, I want to do that because I love her so much. This is why in Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, because you are sons. That, again, it includes all the ladies. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. See, the whole trinity is right there in that verse. You are saved by the Father, through the Son, by the work of the Spirit. And Paul says you will know that you are mature children of God when you actually begin to talk to God like a father, like God intends for you to talk to him. Not because, oh, you've been baptized, you're speaking in tongues, you have a quiet time or tithe, but because God is your father. And because he is your father, everything changes. And you do spend time with him, and you do pray, and you do serve, and you do give. But the point is that that's your dad. His love has transformed you. His love has redeemed you. Paul says, you're no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. These are all the things that leads to places like Ephesians 5.1, when Paul says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. I'll tell you, do, do kids who love their dad want to be like their dad? Yeah, yeah, they do. I will tell you, to this day, I still listen to crappy 70s rock, 70s rock and it is bad. Right, But my dad listened to it, so I listened to it. It's like, oh, hey, boom, 991 the Fox, I'll turn that up. I don't even know why I like this. It's horrid. You know, but crank that up. Keep on rocking me, baby. I st- thank you. I still drive, I still drive a pickup truck, cause my dad drove a pickup truck. I tried to build furniture. Not very well, but my dad knows how to build things. I mean, if, if I built, I didn't build this podium, Rick DeShera did, so it's nice and sturdy, but if I built it, it'd be all ding, 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 ding. But I tried because my dad did those things. I wanted to be like him. But then, you know, my dad also had a lot of short failings in the midst of his life. And, and I'll tell you that, that today, as a believer, now that I understand who God is, I recognize all the places where my dad fell short. That God, my father, comes in, reveals himself, shows me what a father truly is. And I can trust that. And that's a good perspective for a child to have, but an even better perspective for a Christian to have. That God is your father. God has given us everything. We should bring joy to him. We should not bring heartache to him because he is our dad. He seeks intimacy with us. He gives us love. We will never find that apart from him. That's good news. That's what the gospel is. We respond to Jesus and let God be our father. And in doing so, we can actually become the people God intends for us to be. That's where manhood begins. It starts in the place of surrender to who God is as your father, understanding him as the good dad that he is. And everything comes out of the backside of that. And again, this is one of the reasons every week we do talk about communion. Communion is the reminder that we have been adopted into the family of God. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. That reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because we can be a people adopted in and redeemed and restored. And all the garbage that has been laid upon us from maybe our bad dads can actually be set aside. We trust God as our Father and we can live new life in His name. That that is our Father. That all the shortcomings and the failings of our dads, they don't have to define us forever. Because our Father in Heaven is the one who defines who we are as His children. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, and as you, as you take communion, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. Uh, and as uh, it maybe you need prayer because you've got this deep,
father wound. Maybe you haven't ever dealt with it. You know, maybe you're 70 years old and you're still a little boy inside. You don't know what it means to be a man. Or maybe you're 20 and you're just on the verge of manhood and wondering what that looks like. You know, they'd love to pray with you about that. They'd love to talk to you about what that means. Because our God is a good father who loves his children and longs to lead us and not just leave us in a spot. This is why sometimes Christianity is hard because, you know, our God disciplines us as his children. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. But he does because he is good and longs to grow us into the people he intends for us to be. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave to us. And so giving is simply part of our worship so you have the opportunity. And there's some food in the back. Uh, Grab something to eat. But don't just stop there. You know, I would encourage you, like everybody else has today, call your dads. You know, I don't know what the relationship has been like. But, you know, maybe just call them and say, you know what, I'm praying for you. You know, I I think it's important for me to to lay you before our great God because you know what? No matter what you've been through, he loves you and he would long to redeem you as well. I mean, if you have a really bad relationship, you know, say that. If you have a great relationship, say, hey, I was thinking about you today. And I just thought I'd call you and say hi and I I love you. You know, something like that. Reach out, but understand on the backside of that, that fatherhood is a term that our God shares with his men. I mean, seriously, God shares his name with his men. It's crazy. Crazy, And so we take that as a very high calling. And we look at who God is and move to the places he calls us to be. As fathers, as men, because our God is a good father to us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as a people would be those who understand you better as our father. Uh, that, that we wouldn't see ourselves in a tenant relationship where, where we pay the rent and so you have to do these things and then we have to do these things. But a totally different relationship where you are our father and we are sons and daughters because that totally changes the dynamic of a relationship. And Father, for those in this room who only see you as a duty-bound hammer-willing, ready to spank and show up for a review type of father. I ask that that would change. That we would understand you as the God who sought to redeem and save your people. That you bought us with the blood of your son. That in adoption, we are wanted. We are loved. We are called to be part of your family because you chose to love us. And so have us live in the confidence of the choice that you have made for your children. And that we would walk in ways that show that security in who you are. But also the love that you are teaching us to live within. So that the whole world would know that you are a father who loves his kids. And your children are those who love their heavenly father and live lives that bring him great glory. Today, have us live as your children. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.